Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Like, what's a genre that you would say that maybe is like the one genre your band can't relate to? Country, <laughs> probably. Welcome back to another episode of Last Words here on The Pit. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite subject matters, metalcore and MySpace. And who was in your top eight? We don't know. Who was in? Was it Trey in your top eight? Was Mile Bang from in your top eight? We don't know. We're going to find out today. I'm one of your co-hosts, Doc Coyle from the band Bad Wolves and host of the X-Man podcast. I'm Katie Irizarry of Season of Mist and also of Outburn Magazine. I'm Zena Kutter from Everything's Political Podcast and Metalcore Chick at the Core. <laughs> we have a very, very special show this week. We're going to be talking with Atreyu, former drummer and part-time vocalist to now full-time vocalist, rock star, Mr. Brandon Soller. Welcome to the program. Yes, thank you. I like that intro. That's cool. You like that? You like that? Full-time yeah. rock star. Full-time. That's what it says on my, when I thought out job application. It says, you know, previous employers, full-time rock star. That's right. I mean, listen, yeah. it's, it's a whole different world being the front man. I mean, I don't really know about that, but I mean, are you prepared to have like the DMs get just hit up a lot? Are you prepared for like the swooning and the fainting and all the stuff that comes with it? Dude, you know, I think it's going to be great. I think that all those dudes are going to be really nice. You know? <laughs> uh, no, you know, I've just been doing, you know, like 4,000 sit-ups a day, just really trying to work on my abs, mm. you know, because I've heard that that's a prerequisite. You got to have those. Um, and, you know, I'm just trying to do my best out here. Like if your shirt's not off, does it matter? Yeah, see, I'm trying to just be like the guy, you know, I think the character that I want to be as a front man is like leather jacket, no shirt all the time. Mm. <laughs> no matter what the weather, like negative 20 or like 105 just leather jacket no shirt so but that also kind of works with a little bit of a gut so i'm kind of like i'm in luck that does work but you got to make sure you wear the right pants because that if you got a bit of a gut the wrong pants can really make your situation go from okay to worse so just because for sure for sure i mean i i appreciate that see i'm, I'm i need i need everything i can get here i need all the information i can get i say you go full danzig and just don't worry about the gut and just do all chest just we're just yeah. If you oh, come yeah. barrel, if you come barrel chested, then yeah. no one looks there. They just care. Just no like, yeah, that guy, he's manly. He'll like you know, like maybe punch a security guard or something. And then mm -hmm. you need like a cool nickname, like you know, Snake Slaughter or something like that. And then <laughs> you're good to go. Then you could just become a bouncer in New Jersey. Yeah, I'm not even in the band anymore. I'm just a bouncer. <laughs> 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 so let's talk some metalcore. I'm so in. I was joking with Doc before, actually, <laughs> that uh, I was transported all the way back to 2003, 2004, where God forbid, toured with Atreyu and multiple other Story. bands. And um, then I really just went through a bunch of band lists of names. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have not thought of that band in years. Yeah. Those bands are gone. But you guys aren't. We're here. We're still ki we're kicking. We're kicking super hard, too. Well, well, not only that, you guys just got a bevy of brand new, like, gold records and you know, it seems like there's actually almost some kind of renaissance for the style that you do. I mean, have you noticed that, that like 
almost things are kind of coming back around? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that it's been a different kind of a strange thing for us because we have been that kind of like fluid band that's always been sort of ever changing. So I think that if we sounded like exactly like we did like back then, it might be more of that kind of nostalgia thing. And I think that there's that's definitely there. You can't avoid that when you've been a band for as long as we have. But like, I think that like, we've always kind of like shifted and changed whatever. So it's like, we have this like pocket of our fans that are in that kind of thing. And like, you know, it's like little brothers are now finding their big brothers records and like all that kind of thing. But it's, I think that always happens. And I feel like all music is just cyclical where it's like, you know, like the eighties came back and then like the nineties were cool. And then like emo was cool. and Pop punk was cool. Like it's only, everything just always gets a little bit more extreme. So it's like, it's only a matter, it was only a matter of time before like, the metal court thing or like bands like God forbid or in a tray you like became a nostalgic like whoa fuck like kind of cool thing you know so I'm rolling with it I, I think it's cool do you think that a big part of why bands like you was the rise at that time of social media and the internet because I really feel from what I remember of that time in music and a lot of these bands um, I think you guys kind of predated like MySpace a little bit but I do feel that once that came around bands like yours and job for a cowboy and stuff like that just uh suicide silence just really exploded and do you think that uh had an impact on your career as a musician and with atreyu of course i mean like the internet changed everything doc you remember like back in the day i mean even like that tour that the, the tour we did with you guys back in the day like the internet wasn't even really a thing that much yet like you were promoting locally dude on that tour i was literally messaging people on friendster you're so old all the way back forget that for real though like so like we didn't have that and like you know you had to like have local like street teams the internet made everything just so much easier so like for sure i mean it helped internationally too where like all of a sudden it was just that much easier for people to access everything about your band so i mean it was a massive thing the funny thing is when we went on hiatus in like 2010 2011 we went away and like instagram popped and like certain social media like popped and then we came back and we hadn't done anything for like three, almost four years. So like all of our social media was whack, but all these bands had just been going strong for all this time. And like, so it's like all these bands that were like, Oh, like it's cool. Like this, the band that's two or four on our headlining tour has six times the Instagram followers that we have. Like, that's cool. Like what the fuck happened there? But like, it was just cause we just weren't active in that kind of big explosion of like Instagram really. But it's the same thing back then. Like we just happened to be fully active and it definitely, definitely helped. My, my experience with that was always feeling behind the curve of a- any mm-hmm. social media because my space, it seemed to kind of like said, have that big explosion between 06 and 08. And, and I always felt like we were trying to keep up with the Joneses. And then God forbid, pretty much the band broke up before Instagram became what it was. And now you mm-hmm. have TikTok and all this stuff. So I think it's this, unless you're an old, really old school, old school band, right? Where you don't have to be there. You have your team and the label and the management, they can handle all that. For most upcoming bands, it's like, if you're not on top of that, you're kind of screwed. And it, and it sucks for me because my personality isn't one to be on social media all the time. I have to kind of- Could have fooled me on that one. <laughs> it's true. I have to- My man is active on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, Twitter is different though, because Twitter to me is like- Twitter you can hide. Social media? No, but it's a conversation and it's not about Twitter is not about vanity to me. It's Twitter is about like I'll live tweet the Knicks game, but I'm just it's like I'm at a sports bar hanging with other Knicks fans 
and we're just talking about the game. And uh, but I'm saying I think there's other elements of social media that are that revolve around ego egocentrism, which is very a little bit difficult to me, which is a little more like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Hey, look at me. Hey, like never Instagram and all that stuff is a lot about it is like not having private moments. It's like every time we're yeah. rehearsing, we're live streaming rehearsal. Every time I'm getting breakfast, I'm doing, you know, and and if Check you look kind of toast. Yeah, but the more you do that, the more you're rewarded by the the platforms. Well, the question is pepper flakes on your avocado toast or no? Always, 100%. yes. Pepper flakes 100%. on everything. Pepper no, flakes, you, you really want to you really go the extra mile, you're going to get a little bit of a squeeze of a grilled lemon on there too. Ooh. Well, we can, we can change this whole theme of this podcast right now. I'm about that. <laughs> the if breakfast. We, we would have come prepared. Yeah. The heavy metal breakfast podcast. We, we sound like bacon and eggs. We are some hipster douchebags. I had avocado toast today and yesterday. Just like <laughs> the Paris, all the red states just turned to show off immediately. Yeah. <laughs> These the same though. The fuck is this? Nevertheless, avocado it's what? a healthy treat. Okay. You ain't talking about guacamole. You get the hell out. <laughs> um, well, Doc, you bring up an interesting point actually about, um, or I think, sorry, Katie, about MySpace. What's interesting is there hasn't been another MySpace, right? Because there's nothing that converges toward eights, the opportunity to sell merch, almost like a blog, like it, it, MySpace function as a website for a lot of bands who didn't have access to that kind of technology. First of all, we all learned how to code on MySpace, mm -hmm. by the way, <laughs> in a way yeah. that you haven't had to do with any other platform. So it was honestly such a game changer for bands like you guys and for bands in general and for music artists. For sure. I mean, it's, it, I mean since MySpace, band, I mean, even a website for a band is like dumb. A website for uh, our website is just a landing page to go to all of our other crap. Mm -hmm. There's nothing actually on the website that's worthwhile. It's just going to take you to all the other stuff we want to take you to. Like you're, you're right. MySpace was that thing that like you could have everything on one little, it was like, you know, the original landing page. It was like what, what websites became. Why hasn't anyone done that again? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> We're kind of underselling TikTok a little bit, even though it doesn't necessarily serve as that kind of home uh, one stop shop for things like that. It is a platform that, where music seems to be one of the most important elements of it and the way for people sure. interact with music, doing covers, doing the collabs and, and, and things like that. So any social media, I think that we have that is getting more music out, more new artists, breaking right. bands, I think is a cool thing. And I think, you know, in a sense, MySpace kind of collapsed under the weight of its own inefficiencies and yeah, better, so. better services because unfortunately i get all that stuff is cool but it also became a spam site where you were just yeah. being inundated with check my stuff out do you know and, and people generally don't want that they don't want to be spammed well that's what yeah. facebook is now <laughs> well pretty much all of these social media sites are still becoming vessels for spam. But what do you guys think, though, about Bandcamp? Because as we're talking about this, I'm realizing that that's probably the closest thing we have to that MySpace format. Um, I think people don't maybe think of it in those terms because whereas MySpace was primarily known as a social network with like that music component, this is a little bit of the opposite where it's more known as just like a merchandising place. But for people who use uh, Bandcamp, it's a lot more than that. It's also a community. So while it's like the main landing page for the band's merch and the band's tour dates and the band's basic information and nuts to bolts and discography. It's also a place where fans can engage each other and directly engage the band. 
I think Bandcamp is something that I've never dug fully in. Like I've like put music on Bandcamp before, but like as a means to like, oh, cool. Like this is a cool way that it's like a direct, you know, direct to consumer, essentially like music sales website and people can download it or like pay more or pay less or whatever. It can't you like whatever. I haven't, I don't think I ever fully, fully utilized it like that. You know, I think it's the better or worse. Utility, yeah, it's the closest utility wise because you're able mm -hmm. to stream your tracks, you're able to sell, you can do, you know, merch in the same way. But I, I don't know, there just really has been no replacement, even like at that time, Pure Volume was kind of another like. Yeah, that happened for a bit. Yeah, it had a minute, it had a minute in the spotlight, you know, but I, I don't know. I, I, there really isn't anything. And I would argue to say TikTok is more for entertainment value than it is, although your streams do count. For sure. I think the fact that what it can do, I mean, Doc, you're right with what, what it's doing for music is insane. I had no fucking idea. And then like, you know, when like your management and your social media people are like, uh, you know, TikTok, I'm like, but I don't know, but why? If, like, but then it's crazy how like, even, even down to the, the smaller scale, like I have like a bunch of like solo music that I have out and it's like available on streaming platforms and stuff, but it's so under the radar because I never promote it. It just kind of like put it out there. And like what, like my like cousin is on TikTok all the time. She's like, oh my God, I use like one of Brandon's songs on TikTok. And I always get like 12, 12 views, like 18 views. And I got like 400 views. Nobody even knows who that song is, but it's like using the music is just part of the platform. It's like, it spreads so far. Like even on the Atreve TikTok, we use our own, like our own shit or use music, whatever. And it's like, we have no followers on TikTok, but somehow there'll be videos that have like tons of views and streams, whatever, but. It just seems to to reach farther. Anything music based. Let the algorithm work for you. Moving on from the the TikTok social social media thing, um, you guys made some news. I mean, this is probably a year or two ago um, when Alex was still in the band, where he made a controversial statement about a tray you inventing metalcore. I'm sure it's something you get asked questions about it all the time, uh, and I kind of knew what he meant. And I like even me, I, I made a post like joking like. Well, everyone knows I had been in metalcore, ha ha ha, kind of kind of thing. Um, but how has that uh, that statement kind of affected you guys in terms of how you either see yourself within the scene, or like have you had to defend yourself as far as that and being influential? I, I, first of all, I think that that comment came from um, Alex having a moment of of like brain light bulb, being like doing an interview about our new album, this dude asked me a question about metalcore. Like, let me just say something that I know people are going to fucking get really mad at. <laughs> and it worked like crazy. Like we got so much press off of that. The week our album came out, you know what I'm saying? But like, as far as how it's affected us, like we got a lot of shit, but I think the people that actually cared um, stopped going to a trade shows a long time ago yeah, and stopped caring a long time ago. And I think that like, I don't know, like the metalcore thing has been something that, was given to us rather than like something that we adopted ourselves into. So it was like, Oh, you guys are a metalcore band. And we were like, what is, what did you just call us? Like, what is that? What, what does that mean? You know what I mean? So it was like one of those things where like, do I think we were early in the birth of whatever that genre is? I think we were early. I don't know if we were the first. Um, I would never, I don't think I would ever claim to have started something that we didn't know existed in the first place. I guess you, I'd, I'd put Avenge Sevenfold kind of in the same boat. Mm -hmm. where I, would, I would point you guys as a culmination band where you add a little bit of what 
we and Shadows Fall and Unearth and what those bands were doing. But then you also had a little bit of that poison the well kind of emo scene thing going on there. But then you also brought in kind of the Orange County 18 Visions image, the imagery. So you kind of took like the real metal hard side of it combined with kind of warped tour culture with a cool yeah. image. And that when it was kind of succinctly put together in something that uh, a certain generation could understand, it seemed to be something that was able to take the genre from one level to the, to the next. And I think you, like I said, I do think you and Avenged Sevenfold kind of were both, even though you, you guys have your own things, you were, you were kind of on the similar idea that is a culmination yeah. effect. I agree. And I, I think I accredit that to the, to the introduction of, of the punk influence for both of us. I think the both of us, I mean, we've always had our own, like you said, had our own thing, but coming from Orange County, like we both were super influenced by East Coast bands like Poison the Well or like, or like God Forbid. We literally recorded our record with Eric Rachel Tracks East because of God Forbid. So I was like, we like we're influenced by that East Coast thing, but then we're also influenced by like the Orange County hardcore scene, but also like Bad Religion, the Vandals and No Effects and like just like the California sort of punk scene as well. And I think that had a huge hand in making it stand out, you know, some way. Well, just think about the other kind of music that was really popular at that time too. Like AFI was on MTV. Oh, we were right? like, that's another band. We were huge influence. I think a lot of our, honestly, a lot of the, like the makeup thing and like the whole like image thing came from AFI and like Alkaline Trio. We loved like the dudes wore eyeliner and wore all black. And it was one of those times where you could actually do multiple tours across way different genres, right? There was like this, like like Doc was saying, the, the Warped Tour culture created the space where you could have emo bands touring with more metal bands and you could just kind of mix them into one thing. So you're really, when you think about it, you're hitting like three different audiences all at once. And like yeah. horny little girls that love cute boys. And I know that they loved Alex because I remember girls loving. And it was, it was little girls that were horrified of us first. And then we're like, Mm. What is this? <laughs> good, yeah. <laughs> There's always a debate over who was the first, but really it's always a bigger scale of who are the founding fathers? Who's the big four? So I think that's kind of really more so what you were a part of where maybe you weren't necessarily the first, but you were a part of these other core groups in that genre. Do we make it into the big four? Yeah, I think you would be you'd be the metalcore big four. I would say yes. Dude, that's tight. So who's the big four? Like, am I ant? Are we? Oh, we're anthrax. I think it depends on the era. But if I had to say current, probably Bring Me the Horizon, Kill Switch, Architects, Parkway Drive. In terms of who's the like literal the biggest. Oh, okay. Right now, right now, right now. I thought you were talking about like the big four that like got the whole truck running. Forefathers. Okay, so to so to actually talk about that, and this is and this is somewhere where I feel like you know I have some standing in that. You know, God forbid was cultivating a style in like 97, 98. And at a time when that, when I'm saying the genre literally didn't exist and the bands I look at as being uh, precursors of what we, we were doing in combining, truly combining metal and hardcore. I look at bands like Overcast. I look at bands like Cave-In. I look at bands like Vision of Disorder uh, who were really, Absolutely. you know, Candiria. I think you know is a is a band that you have to you have to look at, and but what we were doing, what those bands weren't doing, was really drawing upon the the European influence. And, you know, I was getting Children of Bodom and Soilwork albums 
when you literally could not get them on an American label, you could only yeah. get them on Im import. And we were like covering at the gates when we you go to shows and most people probably thought we were playing original songs. Yeah, right. In, in the way like Metallica would play Diamond Head songs and people thought they were Metallica songs. And when we started touring in like 2000, 2001, there was no scene for what we did. So we would have to tour with either a hardcore band or a death metal band or a black metal band. We didn't fit in. So it wasn't until 2003 when we toured with you guys that I was like, oh shit, there's a scene here that likes the genre that we play. I think that what you said is funny. You said cave-in too. Like when we were first starting too, like when we first started, I think the big, for us, obviously it was mixing metal and hardcore. To be honest, a lot of our earlier shit, like, we were even before we got signed like we just wanted to be caving like interior heart stops beyond hypothermia we're like that was our fucking blueprint we were just like this band rules and one of the things that brought us that really drew us to caving was that they sang and like no hardcore bands no metal bands were listening to sang it was all just screaming vocals and i think that's the one thing that like back in the day and i don't know what this is called because you do you reference like like you guys and shadows fall and like kill switch like kill switch sang Back in the day, they were like them and Poison the Well were two of the bands that we loved back in the day that was like, oh, like it's heavy, but there's like metal riffs, but they're also singing. Like, there's like big hook choruses. Like there wasn't, I think there wasn't a ton of that happening. And that's what we really loved where it was like, which again brought back the punk influence where it was like, let's have like breakdowns and metal riffs and solos, but like big hook choruses. Like that didn't seem like it was like all over metal or uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, is that metalcore? With the singing, is that the same thing or is that called something else? Well, it was really, I mean, it, like I said, the band you mentioned, but then Killswitch did it in a way that people were like, that's the way. They did it best. But, but then when Howard joined the band, it became a completely different band, right? And it became even more, honestly. Not really? Not, I mean, well, all right, let's not go back to that question. We already fought it. But no, it, it, it like changed the elevation, that ability to sing melodies that people can relate with outside of just metal really was a big deal because i also you know who else i think of often is 18 visions and how they they basically came out with a perfect rock record right like literally at the height of their career and yep. it is insane that like their career I, they broke up like right after that i can't remember it's been a long mm -hmm. ass time but that record's fucking incredible i'll still listen to that record sometimes too if they put that record out right now it would be top <laughs> 10 active rock radio it would totally. be massive wrong place wrong time i agree with you though still that i love that album all right so you have metal metal core bands that started to kind of open up into the rock world because i think like to the point they're touring with bands that sang right they were touring with people who had different sonics against it i mean even you guys right like, we were, like i don't know how i don't know who gave us the the pass for that but like that made our whole career we literally would do ozfest one summer warp tour the next summer we'd do a lamb of god tour and then go out on tour with the used and take him back sunday and then we go on tour with cky it, it was nuts i don't know i don't know how we got both sides but definitely help it's funny you say this because before we started today doc and i already had our first discussion <laughs> and i mentioned that i wore my archspire sh shirt because even though they are like extreme technical death metal i feel there is this correlation and crossover into metalcore not necessarily be I, I just because of the influence that it's a completely different genre but there's an influence there that makes those fans want them. There's something definitely a little bit more different about Arch Spire versus a more refined tech death band, like let's say uh, Revocation or Beyond Creation or something like that. My whole thing was 
these genres really cross pollinate and the, like metal is just as a whole and rock are just genres that just keep like banging each other and banging each other and banging each other and turning into like bigger genres and just cross pollinating. And I think there's less gate- gatekeeping. I mean, it still exists, but I think there's less of it and way more of a wider acceptance. And I think metalcore was really that first genre that broke into that where you can now mm-hmm. appeal to a tech death crowd or an emo crowd or a punk crowd or for sure. Like what's a genre that you would say that maybe is like the one genre your band can't relate to? Cause I think it's easier to pick out genres that you can. I mean, country <laughs> probably. That's fair. That um, makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I honestly though, like at this point we've kind of dipped our toes in so many different ponds. Like there's songs for metal kids. There's songs for hardcore kids. There's songs for like the emo crowd. There's like, People that like pop artists like some Atreyu songs. Like there's EDM. Electronic music is the biggest bridge I've ever seen to heavy music in any genre ever. So like we've dipped our toes there where it's like, so, I mean, I think, but yeah, honestly though, we kind of, kind of wrote a country song on Lead Sales and it kind of somewhat, I mean, it's country people probably wouldn't think it was a country song, but we thought, um, but I don't know, like, I don't even really like country music. So I'll say country music is the one place where we don't belong. That's fair. That's a fair assessment. And even then, yeah, you're right. You might even also kind of somehow traverse into that. Somehow get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing is the the label game is is very interesting because usually anytime a genre, subgenre becomes really big, it's also the time when the people associated with it want the most distance from it, right? So new metal blows up. The last thing you want to be called is a new metal band because you feel like you're getting pinned with, it becomes like a, a pariah term. And I know because no one ever thinks that they sound like those bands. Yeah, well, it's it's always funny because even at the time, I always felt at a certain point, God forbid, was a metal band with metalcore influence. And there was another term around that time, you know, that still gets used, which is the new wave of American heavy metal, which I Mm -hmm. felt was more apropos for what we were doing. But the more I think about it, this is just kind of re- referring to uh, Katie, some things you're talking about, about the about the genre banging is one of the reasons why kind of metal elitists have this thing against metalcore is that it's all about, it's like the mutt of music that, it, that metal, pure metal people, the thing I like about metal is it's purism, you know, sure. is, is, or I'm sorry, purity, uh, and that it, and that it's untainted by this influence and that we don't want any rapping. We don't want any this, we want it to be pure. And, and I think my taste, you know, a lot of it has to do with where I grew up, where it was like, we love the idea that things were mixing and changing. And it's difficult if you're just not evolving or adding any new influence, it's hard to grow. You know? Yeah, for sure. I think a big thing too, that like the whole like metalcore thing, like a lot of it, I feel was image based where like you had, a band like God forbid that was like tough looking dudes in black sleeveless shirts, most of which had long hair, head banging on stage. You know what I'm saying? Like then you had Atreyu who was like Orange County kids and eyeliner and like flannels and like cool mohawks with like a dude running around with his shirt off and abs. Like there was a disconnect there where it was like, we were like pretty, it was like the prettier metal. It was, you know what I mean? It was like, you dolled it up. Saturday night metal. You did sound prettier too. I mean, <laughs> it was hard. Evil but, then, but, no, but later, but later, God forbid though, you guys got that tenderness. Yeah. Y'all had that fucking better days. You know what I'm saying? You got that shit. 
Mm-hmm. We were selling Burger King out there. That's what's up. Well, you know, <laughs> you're ridiculous. <laughs> we need to start our own podcast, dude. <laughs> dude. I'm down. We could just talk about our bands just back and forth for probably at least two hours was, a day. It's like, do you remember when? Yeah, I remember when I heard the story <laughs> 50 times, man. Like the, yeah, this is like the old man's glory days. <laughs> kind of man, you remember when? Remember when people used to buy CDs, man? It was great, man. <laughs> One thing I wanted to bring up was festivals during the metalcore age, right? Think about it. So you guys, West Coast, Doc's band, East Coast, right? You think of Hellfest, uh, the New England Hardcore Festival, right? Like, uh, it's those were like formative moments for a lot of people who began loving metal at that time because it did converge all these different bands that were like huge at the time. Um, what do you think that those festivals did for the genre and helped to really like make the genre an event, if that makes sense? That's exactly what they did. Nothing had hardcore and like metal. We're like the little guys, you know what I mean? Like there was no, there was nothing for us on a grand scale. So like Hellfest, like we used to, we used to get so pumped for that shit. And like, we were so amazed that we got to like play these shows and like to get that opportunity to play back then. We're like, this is the biggest crowd ever. It's probably like, 5,000 people or something where you're like, you didn't get that opportunity ever to play with so many bands on the same weekend. And like, there was something for everybody. Like that shit was awesome. Like we used to take every opportunity we possibly could to play any sort of like festival at all, because it didn't exist in our genre. Really. It was just like about small venues and small stages. And like, we'll see at the merch table after the show and like hustling. Like it was like our first glimpse, any bands in the scenes, first glimpse at like something bigger. Yeah, see, see, I have like this, someone just tagged me in a clip of Godfrey playing Furnace Fest in 2002, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, and my memory, and it's funny because the video exactly matches my, my memory, which is people, like I said, we were always a metal band playing in the hardcore scene. Because you look, so before us that day, dude, I mean, literally every band that existed played Furnace Fest back then. Mm-hmm. And right before us, they put Every Time I Die and 18 Visions. And they were like cool bands. They were yep. cool. People were loving them. Place was packed. We went on after half the place cleared out. And you watch the footage. People ain't going crazy. It's like eight. <laughs> it's like eight people. Like so, people want to have this. Like people like to rewrite history. Like man, back in the day, it was crazy. It's like you know, sometimes. sometimes <laughs> you know. Doc, you gotta love your honesty. It's no, listen. I, listen, I keep it real because I always feel with. God forbid our career was this kind of like a herky jerky system of false starts and false hopes. And you think it's this, and then you get disappointed because you, you want, you know, it's, and it's a situation too, especially as a young person, a young band, you really rely on that validation from the crowd. It's like, if you don't get a good reaction, if you don't sell enough CDs, you don't sell enough t-shirts, it's kind of a reflection of where you're, you're at you know so i so for us like every time we played one of these big festivals it was like uh you know a boxing match you got to go and like win the day you have to go you know you gotta have a great set we gotta kill it because we're you're just surrounded by killers you know literally every festival we ever played with kill switch we were like god damn it because it was like you know what i mean it was like at the time i remember hellfest um uh the hellfest we played and it was like our day, I think 18 Visions played, which we were on tour with, and then Hope's Fall played. And Hope's Fall was having a moment. And I remember like watching Hope's Fall set and being like, 
we are ruined. Like this is our, no one's going to remember our show. And then later it was the first show Killswitch played with Howard. And I was like, Oh, no one's going to remember Hope's Fall show either. It's just going to be about Killswitch this whole weekend. Like, oh, so there was those, I can one up you. I can one up everyone here. All right. And this <laughs> goes, speaks back to what I just said. God forbid was playing. They booked us opposite kill switch. So as we're, <laughs> and I said, I said this before, I said, it was a metaphor for our career. because <laughs> Literally the crowd was leaving our show to go watch kill switch. And it was like, it was, and, and listen, I think that happened with a lot of bands, but us specifically where we had a certain lane and kill switch just took that lane. They're like, this is our lane. Everyone else it's over. And it was literally like, we just watched our career slowly dissipate. <laughs> And as it went to it. so that happened while we were playing. Can I do you one bigger? Can I do you one better? I don't know if you can, man. <laughs> rock 'em ring, rock 'em, rock 'em ring. Like this is like in Germany, like 13, 15 years ago, some shit like that. We played during Metallica. <laughs> okay, but you still gotta get first of all. Can see them. Actually... I could see them playing from our stage. If in between songs, I could hear Metallica. Listen, I hear you, but here's the one. You were on Rock and Ring, which tells me your band was doing pretty good. Two, you had a late set, which means you got probably got paid good too. And and three, they weren't a contemporary of yours. So like That's true. It's like what That's happened? True. That is true. Should have happened. Like everyone is supposed to leave to go watch Metallica. And, and sometimes we call that on a festival where you deadline a stage. Where they overpay you, <laughs> where, they, where they overpay you to close a stage on one of these European festivals and just to go, hey, we got a big van. And then sometimes you're playing against Iron Maiden or Foo <laughs> Fighters and you're eating shit. Yeah. You know what? The check cleared. Yep. That's true. That's true. I love these nostalgic one-up moments between the two of you here. No, you actually win. Doing good, I, okay? I, I agree. You win. You actually win that one. <laughs> I Listen, do agree. I got, I got plenty of, of, of sob stories, but you know what? I, I look back at them fine, fondly because they made me the strong person I am today. Yeah, no That's one can up. fuck with Howard's vocals. <laughs> Let's be real. Both of you, though, now are that band. You're the band. I mean, typically, as long as you're not competing with Metallica and Red Hot Chili Peppers and Kill Switch and stuff like that, you're the band that the little guy their fans are going to leave and go see you. So I think that it's just kind of the part of the food chain. Like you paid your dues. Now you're that band until another mm -hmm. band comes along. It's just like the circle of life. We're, we're that band until another kill switch comes along and just stomps us out. <laughs> well, I, I want to talk about that because, you know, I've uh, on my podcast, X-Men, I've talked a lot about metalcore, you know, and the new wave American heavy metal and the evolution because I, I was of the mindset you know, I remember Godfrey did this tour in, in 2006 called the uh, Hell on Earth tour in Europe. And it was like um, this band Maroon and Heaven Shall Burn and all these like Euro kind of metalcore bands. And it was the moment where I was like, we are not a metalcore band. These are metalcore bands. Like we didn't fit in on a metalcore tour. And I was yeah. like, and I thought, I was like, I was like, I think this genre is like running out of gas. And, and the literal opposite happened where now I think the genre is bigger than ever. And the band I forgot to mention um, with those original four was A Day to Remember. They're massive, massive. you know, massive. arena band too. So I should I should uh, keep, keep them in mind as well. But now you have metalcore bands that haven't changed their sound super dramatically. I mean, some have, uh, but they're, into, they're moving into arena status. They're getting number one albums. They're, 
you know, and, and so the genre to me is almost something like a country where it's like, oh, no, it's not just a phase. This is just going to be here. Mm-hmm. That's the way I see it now. I don't know. Yeah. Is there any, any bands, you know, right now in the genre you guys think are worth mentioning that you want to kind of get on the bandwagon? You kind of you kind of mentioned the big ones for sure. Um, I think Under Oath deserves a spot yes. on that list. Um, you know, I think that what are some other bands that are fucking big. I mean, Bear Tooth is, is Bear Tooth is. I mean, on the for on the for the, on the newer end too. I mean, they're they're killing it. They're Trivium's another band, more on the metal side, but they still get lumped in a little bit with the radio and stuff like that. Um, I mean, know, there's a lot. Yeah, there's so many. <laughs> well, even and and you know, and I know there's you know, as are they dying got back together and did their literally their biggest touring numbers ever as a headlining band, which says to me a lot about the genre that it is just it's at- soulless. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you're not God fearing, okay? Well, no, love, I mean, but nothing, I mean, nothing, I mean, nothing but love to the four of those guys. Nothing but love. <laughs> But we're like, regardless of all that, that, you know, just based on purely music and as a, uh, you know, as an economic enterprise, there's more interest in the genre now than ever. And it's not yeah. coming from guys, you're my age only. It's, it's, it's apparently appealing to a younger audience and being kind of handed down. Yeah, for sure. Because it's classic rock to the younger <laughs> It straight up is. It is. Straight like, up is about it it's 20 years man it really yeah. it's a long ass time it's two decades yeah it, absolutely point. absolutely people listening to nerdy from poison the well like it's sweet home alabama in their pickup 100 percent. i saw something that it was like it's the same amount what was it? it was like it's the same amount of time uh from the night from the 90s to the 50s as it is from the 90s to, to now whatever it was like a bridge like a, a huge gap of time where it was like what because think about it in the 90s when i was like a teenager and like you think about like the 60s or whatever it was and you're like oh cool like that's not real that life isn't real i don't i never experienced any of the stuff that was back then that's people like it, the 90s now is like that what is what the 90s is kids are like oh cool nirvana but they don't even know like what the fuck it is like they don't get it <laughs> like cds tight i do think there's a difference in the way we perceive culture now because essentially if you if you're 25 years old now you've grown up the entire time with the internet and youtube and constant access to all mm-hmm. things and i think that we have a perception growing if i'm growing up in the 80s and 90s i couldn't just look up a frank sinatra video right i couldn't just go in and check out some Jimi hendrix shit i had to go to the store and buy a cd and but like it was it felt inaccessible and somewhat far removed whereas you have and this goes beyond music you know thing properties like Back to the Future and Ghostbusters, it's kind of just effervescent. It just it just never goes away. So I mm-hmm. think if you grew up in that time, you've always lived with Kurt Cobain, or you always live with, uh, the, you know, Lincoln Park. Like it's just there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess so. And so we have a different relationship, I think, with the way the nostalgia works. And you know, plus motherfuckers don't be aging anymore, right? You see, I've been seeing some bands reform, and I'm like, they look the same. What the kind of <laughs> Vitamins and fucking juice cleanses these people are doing. Botox, some hair dye, you know. Look, don't hate, don't hate. <laughs> oh. um, I love it. I mean, the thing is, too, I was reading an article earlier today about emo and how there's this whole resurgence of emo, too, which you could say kind of ran yeah. parallel tracks. Yeah. To the, 
Yeah, it ran parallel tracks and, and people were basically saying like, you know, an 18 year old kid, think about it, is learning something that maybe their parents had did when they were like coming up, right? And they're seeing yeah. pictures of them looking that way, dyeing their hair. Remember when, remember when it was taboo to dye your to hair? Dye your hair, yeah. And it was a whole, I remember, I had, I, Doc, I know you remember, I had like hot pink hair for the longest time. I mean, Katie, you, you're still the queen of hair color. You've, you've been steady, but now it's, it's like commonplace, right? But years yeah. ago, it was, such a, it was such a new concept to outwardly as a regular citizen of the world, be dressed and act like that. So actually when you think about emo, metalcore, that all of these different scenes that to your point where you were saying before, Brandon, like created a style that hadn't really existed before. So it was actually a cultural movement more than anything. And I yeah. think that that's why it's resurging and why it's so popular. And um, yeah, maybe we look, we all look different now. Right. Literally but, um, before, before I came on today, I went to this coffee place in Orange County called Melted Vinyl Coffee because they have a lip gloss, a sparkling lip gloss and black drink on the menu. It's like an emo themed. They do, they have like, they play vinyl, they do all this stuff. And it's like a coffee shop based on all that. And it's like, that's how popular this shit is. There's a coffee can, shop. Can I ask you a question? They, they didn't yeah. charge you for that drink, right? Oh, I got no, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm like, yo, motherfucker. They tried, but I refused. That's right. Like, yo, like I'm like they need to be giving you like eight cents out of each beverage. I'm just for saying. Sure. You're like phantom disappearing at times. I'm like, it's either so like every time a genre blows up, there are those underground bands that never get the love that they deserve. I want to ask you guys. Who is the band that didn't get the shine at the time that was absolutely amazing and made a cool record? 100%. Not even, not even just jerking either. God forbid. Doc, how do you feel about that? Hey, man, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I mean, listen, I think if you were to go kind of just pure output and like the quality of, of the work, you know, do I feel like our band didn't totally get what we we felt we should have gotten yeah i mean that and that's how we felt about it at the time we always you know but at the same time i don't you know i don't necessarily believe in like deserves i i just i think things just kind of go the way they go and there's a million bands out there that you could say oh this band was better than the one that became really big but ultimately the people decide you know the people have to be the the fans have to be the one that embrace it and it's interesting where now i feel like in a way god forbid is almost getting more respect now like it's kind of coming back around where i wonder if we did a show or released a song or something if there'd be more interest now i i don't i don't know i think darkest hour is another one too mm-hmm. yeah but they had a good career though they did but it's like i think they should have been bigger for a long time now doc who's yours Oh, my, my choice is uh, the Agony scene. They put a record out called The Darkest Red in 2005. Uh, it was on Roadrunner. And so they definitely had some push, but I feel like that era, like 05, 06, things were just really oversaturated. So it was really tough for bands to, to, to break through. And I, I don't know if they had internal issues or maybe they just couldn't make things happen on the on the touring front, but that's a record I still listen to to this day. And it's just filled with bangers it's so pissed and it has sick riffs and it just you know i love the production on it uh, rob caggiano did that so that's 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 my under the radar selection check it out that's a good one really good one katie what do you got hmm. okay so i have a little bit of a different take on this i mean first and foremost this is definitely a genre that i kind of missed you know while i think some people transition from new metal to 
metalcore, I kind of, my gateway was kind of Cradle of Filth where I went like from new metal, like Cradle of Filth, Demon Board Gear to like black metal. So I kind of overlooked this genre, but I think there's a band who at the time was really, really big, who now we don't really hear or see much about, who I think deserve a lot more credit and I think should actually be bigger now. And that's Job for a Cowboy. Um, Job for a Cowboy was like massive during like the MySpace metalcore boom. And I mean, they were on every festival. I mean, Zena and I know they were all over Hot Topic, merch selling left and right. They were huge. And I actually think they became more serious and heavier and took a little bit more of a technical route. And I actually really like what they did later on in their career. But I think because they transitioned genres and I think they had the stink of quote unquote, my space metal, which I think was a lot of people looked down on at the time. I think they kind of, people just didn't give them the respect that they deserved and they kind of fizzled out. Whereas I think it should have been the opposite where I think they should have gotten more respect and gotten actually bigger. So that's the band I want to mention that I think really, uh, it's a shame. I think they were on a great trajectory and I think they should have stayed on that trajectory and it's, it's a bummer that they didn't. Well, they went away from the core and they became a more, traditional legit serious band metal, yeah metal band and i think they you know in a way it was like counter to how they got successful they got successful by being the most deathcore of deathcore and i think a lot of again this goes back to what i said about gro uh growing to kind of have disdain for the subculture that got you your success and then having some battle with it we went through it uh wanting and, and also wanting that respect Right. You want that respect from the real, quote unquote, real metal world or the real musicians. Mm -hmm. Right. I and and it literally worked on the opposite trajectories. The more serious they got and better they got musically, the less people people got interested. And I think that happened a little bit with Poison the Well as well, too. Yeah. Well, I th and, and Poison the Well, I think just kept getting better. Like, I think Terror from the Red is great. I think like I what the record was the record after You Come Before You. Yeah. is my favorite Poison Well record. And it's so Incredible weird. Record. There's like, there's like Hawaiian guitars and like surf, it's like surf rock sound and shit. Production's incredible. But I think people that like Poison Well were like, what's happening here? Like, but it's so good. Like, I, but I think, I think you're right though in that, in that sense where like, if you start kind of deviating from the genre that you were kind of born into, you have to have those really big moments, I think, to survive that. Like you have to have made that jump to like some sort of bigger element to like survive that kind of jump. Real quick. I just, I think for some bands that's true. Um, but I think in this case it was, that wasn't really the issue. I think the issue was when they transitioned into a more serious genre, those fans didn't, it was not only just the abandonment of their early fans, but in this mm -hmm. particular case, because of coming from metalcore and an era where modern metal in all of its forms, rap metal, new metal, mm -hmm. metalcore were all kind of looked down upon. I think fans that people that should have taken notice of that band overlook them. I think that's the issue is that whereas if it were a different transition, like if they had gone from maybe like, I don't know, grindcore, let's say to like more of like a tech metal band, they could have actually had a successful transition. But I mm -hmm. think that people just completely overlooked a band that became really great just because of their roots. Yeah. I think maybe almost potentially like that band was almost 
like too extreme still for metal, which is a weird thing to say. But when you come from like deathcore or what, you know, whatever you, it was, whatever you want to call it, it's like such an extreme version that like regular metal heads might be like, Ooh, I don't know about this. This is, this is too much for me, <laughs> you know? Right. Definitely. So Zena, what is your unheralded metalcore band that needs some shine? Okay, I had two. I just wanted to bring up one that I'm shocked no one has mentioned, Bleeding Through. Oh, okay. I actually liked okay. that. Bleeding Through, well, and also though. like the synth, all of that stuff. I don't know. Bleeding Through was to me, it was like almost like a definitive band of the That's time. That's what I dug about them. Yeah, the mm-hmm. synth, the fact they had a female a player. female, thank you. At the time, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Okay, bleeding through. Uh, wish they held on for a bit longer, but not quite. Um, and I would say one record that I love that I sometimes just kind of listen to and I'm like, wow, this record is like so ahead of its time to me. Zayo, Parade of Chaos. I don't even know if you would consider it truly metalcore, but it came out in the time. Mm-hmm. It was like part of that whole, you know, that whole scene. And I don't know, it's such a cool, interesting progressive record. I think that Zayo, I mean, people like them and there's obviously that whole like religious connect. But um, I don't know, I just really love that band. I wish I got a little bit more. I feel like that was probably, I think that might've been the disconnect too from like the, the bre- truly breaking into more, not mainstream, but like the, the really exploding in, in this genre was like, especially back then, like Christian bands were so pigeonholed. Like mm-hmm. it was such a like, oh, well, they're a Christian. I don't like them, they're a Christian band. When the reality was like most Christian bands or like solid state bands didn't just have like God songs and like, you know, worship lyrics. It was just heavy and they were also Christian. You know, Riper throws Bibles into the audience, and you know what? They put on a great show, so I don't exactly. Even care. <laughs> I, I, think, I think also some bands suffered from almost being a little too early, mm-hmm. and whereas like I remember around 08, 09, you started seeing bands like from uh, you know, Black Dahlia were kind of getting bigger, and uh, um, August Burns Red, and bands like On Earth were maybe not getting the same credit. But it was just a generational thing. It was like, it's like, oh, if you came around five years earlier, you were just seen as like, oh, you're an old band. I'm not really, you know, whereas like bands like From Mice to Men just kind of came out of nowhere and were like huge overnight because they just happened to be part of a wave. You They're know, cute. Was, yeah, but 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 even even sonically, right? Like, like there wouldn't be that much of a difference, but I think you were seen as being you think it's just purely visual. No, it's visual, but then it is. People think people are older than they are. I mean, I remember I've gone through this my whole life. People are like, for so long, people are like, man, I used to love you in high school. And I'm like, God, how fucking old am I? What the fuck? And then I'm like, oh, you graduated high school the year after I did. It's because we started our <laughs> band when I was 17 years old. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm not old as fuck. You're just also just as you're, old. Yeah, like you just graduated high school the, like the year after me. You so it's like one of those things time. where- but people are like, people don't know that. So they just think I'm an old ass. But it's like, you know, I would have been like, I, I would have like passed you in the hallway after <laughs> science class, you know? Totally. It's weird. It's weird. Well, it's I also got to shout out. So these are, to me, these aren't bands that, you know, didn't get enough shine. But I, but I think we have to give credit to bands that kind of just held on and were successful for long periods of time without really losing relevance. I mean, you got to mention Haybreed, who's like, the standard oh, yeah. bearer, they're the 100 the, the, the motorhead of, of metalcore and it just that's great always, yeah it's that's true. great um every i think time you have I to die, mention every time i die yeah yeah, yeah every, oh, every yeah. time i die has never has seemed like they've just stayed at the same level of uh, relevance 
Um, and I think you can throw Converge in there as a band that just seems like they're always relevant and they're always they're like they're like legacy though like they're the legacy band of of the hardcore scene yeah and then the other band this is this sounds weird but i think slipknot in some way like you can't find one metalcore kid that doesn't like slipknot yeah but i don't think they're metalcore because they're new metal like i I mean and even then i don't think they're new. i think that they're their own band I, i got cut in if you're saying that, then you literally have not listened to modern metal metalcore, which is literally new metal. They all just rip off Sinkin <laughs> Park and Slipknot and Corn, and they tune their guitars low. And it's mm-hmm. modern metalcore has literally blended with new metal. So there is no those those lines are completely blurred. I disagree though. There's Great. tiers. You got new metal's the first tier, and then through metal, new metal comes metalcore, and then through metalcore comes gent. And whether you people want to admit it or not, gent is basically just when new metal and uh, metalcore decided to bang, and now we got all bang. of these a tears lot of banging, are just bringing me to tears. <laughs> Katie, Katie, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just can't, I can't roll with you. All right, you, you literally <laughs> just said, you literally said I wasn't involved with this stuff. I was listening to Cradle and Phil. You don't tell me, you don't tell me. <laughs> no, you got no. Um, you have made you have made Doc upset, and I am not okay with this. <laughs> Uh, listen, I, if you're new here, just, you know, I like to make Doc upset. <laughs> I love it. I love yes, it. Like, me too. Can you uh, push my buttons? The answer is yes. Well, that has been our episode about the history of metalcore, the, the state of metalcore, and Atreyu's place in it. Thank you, Brandon, so much for being on the show. Uh, what do you guys have going on that people should check out? New album? anything like that and where can people find a uh, new album baptized comes out on the fourth um we are going on tour in november we're playing festivals the world is open again and we are up in it nice where do the people find betray you and yourself on the internet? you can find a you official everywhere you can find a trade music on twitch you can find me brandon Saller, on twitch as well as the Brandon Saller on Instagram. Hell yeah. Thank you, brother. We appreciate it. You take care. Thank you for having me. You can follow me at Doc Coyle anywhere where all the stuff is. Just look me up. I'm around. Zena, where can people find you? At Zena Coda, bro. <laughs> Katie, where you at? Merciful Kate, Twitter and Instagram. That's right. And don't get into her car. We'll kill you. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, Doc. You can follow us at We Are The Pit on all platforms. Well, I hope you enjoyed this show. If you would like to see our faces or possibly make a comment on our terrible opinions about metalcore, please head over to The Pit's YouTube channel.